Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Tuesday, June 18th, and we have got a great show for you. We're talking Florida State football, recapping their spring, a uh, quick look ahead to next year, but we're going to preview that for you later in the summer. Uh, there's also the NBA draft coming up this week, and uh, there is one big name Hokie looking to be the first first round pick since the 80s for the program. And uh, we've got a few other tidbits for you, including our condiments power ranking. That is something you won't want to miss. And uh, let me just do a little call out to the next episode. We potentially have a huge guest coming on the show. We will not tell you who it is because it is not yet confirmed. But if you're a Hokies fan, you will recognize the name. So stay tuned for that and follow for updates. But uh, first off, Tim, how was your Father's Day? Man, Father's Day was great. I um, didn't really do a whole lot, and I think that was the fantastic part. So, um, yeah, we smoked ribs on a Saturday. Great. Um, that was kind of my day to do whatever I wanted. Uh, Father's Day, Kristen, you know, wanted to cook a dinner for me and hang out with me, so that was great, too. I had lasagna. It was fantastic. But the best part about it was there was nothing that needed to be done. There was nowhere we needed to go. So I sat around and watched soccer and baseball seemingly all weekend, and it was fantastic. How about you guys? Oh, man. So um, two stories. On Saturday, we uh, put the little one into swim class for the first time, and uh, she acted like the water was 100 degrees the entire time. (laughs) Was not a huge fan, so that was fun. (laughs) Um, But got a couple of good videos for for later in life. Uh, On Sunday, Tim decided, hey, you know what? It's Father's Day. We live in America. The White Sox are in town. Let's go to a baseball game. Sure. So bought some tickets. As as we do. And uh, drive over to the stadium, you know, south side of Chicago. And uh, get there. It's 1230. First pitch is 110. And uh, pull up and... You know, there's traffic. That's to be expected, right? Sure. So I'm sitting in traffic at the first exit to get off and sitting there for 15 minutes, pretty much gridlocked, haven't haven't moved an inch. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try an exit, a couple of exits up that I typically have good luck with. So go up there and uh, wait another 15 minutes. So if you're doing the math, Tim, uh, five minutes until first pitch and haven't gotten any closer to the stadium. Oof. So I'm starting to get a little frustrated, a little, little flabbergasted, uh, to say the least. And um, <laughs> finally, I get up to the stoplight to make the right to go into the parking lot. And they've decided, you know what? No. Nobody's allowed to make that turn right. You're going to have to go back towards the interstate on the other side. No explanation. Uh, so brutal. So, Tim... Um, Again, this is Chicago, a lot of traffic, so we sat in traffic for another 15 minutes. Not getting any closer to the stadium. Then finally we turn off that road, and we're being directed to another parking lot, to which there's one sign that I follow. Turn down the road, turn into the parking lot, and we are, uh, we are told we can't turn in that way. We have to go around the block. <laughs> However, going around the block is impossible because the traffic's not moving. So basically, by the time we got to the parking lot, it was 2 o'clock. We had missed the first 50 minutes of the game, and I said, you know what? (laughs) I don't want to go to a baseball game anymore. (laughs) And we left. Wow. So that was my Chicago White Sox Father's Day experience. What a beautiful, perfect day. Oh, man, my blood pressure was rising just listening to that. Yeah, it's it's just... I've never experienced something like that going to a professional sporting event. Um, but yeah, I guess the White Sox aren't used to one being a somewhat decent baseball team and having the Yankees in town while also being a holiday. So I think they were a little bit oh, understaffed. Yeah. Sure. But uh but hey, yeah, you the, know the White Sox would have been fun to see this year, man. It was yeah. a good year. Yeah, good had the Yankees Sox in game, town, man. it would have been a decent decent game, but you know, is what it is. Is what it is. Came home, watched the U.S. Open, so that was that was some good golf to see. But oh yeah, you know, Tim. Uh, this week we've got the NBA draft. We sure do. And we're not an NBA podcast, but we do talk a little bit a little bit of ACC basketball in the off season. And uh, if you take a look at what's happening in the NBA draft. 
right now there are projected seven players in the ACC that are going to go in the top 16. That yeah. is pretty impressive. Four in the top 10, all of which are either Duke or UNC. But, you know, first first one off the board is going to be Zion Williamson, and he is going to the New Orleans Pelicans, who got quite the haul for Mr. Anthony Davis. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. And, yeah, that was a long time coming. I feel like they'd been trying to uh, figure out when Anthony Davis was going to go for a year now, um, ever since he started making that stink on wanting to be traded. So, uh Glad we got to see the conclusion to that saga. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, Zion's going to have Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball on the court probably as a sub, you know, whenever right. he's needed. <laughs> right. Um, and a few others coming over from L.A., Brandon Ingram, former Duke Blue Devil. So uh, they also got the fourth overall pick in that draft. They might end up trading that, who knows. But, you know, R.J. Barrett expected to go in the top three to the Knicks. Kobe White, point guard out of North Carolina, is projected to yep. go sixth to the Suns. Mr. DeAndre Hunter, seventh to the Bulls, is the latest projection. Uh, Cam Reddish, eighth to the Hawks. Nasir Little, which is really the big surprise to me, going number yeah. 11 to Minnesota. Uh, that guy did next to nothing for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thoroughly unimpressed with him all year. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's one of those things where scouts think he'll develop really well in the NBA, but I certainly didn't see it. You know, not the, a top, not a first round pick, at least. The NBA draft is one of those. I mean, it really is a crapshoot once you get outside of the top five. Really, in any year, unless it's just particularly loaded, right? But draft picks really outside of the top ten can be pretty worthless from from year to year, just depending on the talent level. So, Nasir Little is one of those high risks, like super high risk, high reward type of guys. We'll see what happens. Uh, Minnesota hasn't had a lot of great luck in the draft recently, um, but you know it is what it is, so we'll see what happens there. The next ACC guy that is going to get picked, according to ESPN, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, number 16 overall to the Orlando Magic. And Tim, this would be the first Virginia Tech basketball player selected in the first round since Del Curry in 1986 when he went to the Utah Jazz. And only wow. the second ever Virginia Tech basketball player to be taken in the first round. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. What a huge, huge thing that would be. What a boon to the program. Um, I would love to see it. Nikhil's our guy. Um, hopefully he'll get where he wants to get in that draft. And, you know, he seems like a guy that has the game that would translate really well to the NBA. So um, the NBA loves shooters, and I think Nikhil has a, that ability in spades. Yeah, so he's a guy who... You know, when Justin Robinson was in the lineup this year, played really well. And when Robinson wasn't in the lineup, he really struggled. Sure. So there's still a lot of question marks I have about his game. But, you know, from an NBA standpoint, he's been projected to be a first-round pick since he came to came to Blacksburg and stayed the extra year. I'm not sure he would have been much better off staying another year. But, you know, who knows? Um, but, you know, good good for the Hokies program to see a guy go in the first round. Uh, the last guy to be drafted from Virginia Tech is Eric Green, who was drafted by Utah but then traded to Denver and played for a couple years for the Nuggets. Uh, I believe he's over in Europe right now. And uh, Hokie fans will remember Deron Washington. He was the second-to-last pick in the draft in 2008 to the Detroit Pistons. Never actually played in the NBA, but um, you know he had one of the most iconic moments in Virginia Tech basketball history with his dunk over Greg Paulus, which yeah, he, he teabagged Greg Paulus, which will go down in the annals of Hokie basketball history. Um, shout out to Eric Green, who is one of the most incredible college basketball players I've, I've ever seen to play on an absolutely terrible Virginia Tech team. But man, that guy could just fill it up. Eric Green. Yeah, Eric, Eric Green was a guy who his first three years of Virginia Tech, he wasn't very good. No. And then his senior year, he just exploded onto the scene. Completely so. snapped. I mean, the shots that he was hitting with consistency were, it amazed me that he was able to improve as much as he did from his junior to senior year was just night and day. And to the point where during that senior year, I was like, okay, this guy has a game that could actually translate to the NBA. It, one thing you always look for is can he create his own shot? And yeah, Eric could. That's the knock on Nikhil, right, is that uh, he's an off-the-ball guard, and it seems like, at least in college, um, when Justin went down, his offensive production really, really fell off because he can't really create well for himself. Yeah, for sure. So 
We'll, we'll see what happens in the NBA drafts. Uh, you know, the NBA is really a soap opera. I actually, I just like watching what goes on around the NBA more than the actual regular season. It's far more interesting. Sure. Uh, now, the NBA playoffs are a different story. I do follow the NBA playoffs rather closely because it's good basketball. The regular season is, is pretty tough to watch. But um, the draft is really the next domino to fall, so we'll see what happens, and we'll see if uh, Zion can, can ride the ship in New Orleans. But... Uh, let's go ahead and jump over to football. So before we jump into Florida State, uh, Southern Pigskin, which is a blog focused on ACC and SEC football, ranked their top 100 players in the ACC for 2019. So we are going to look at who they ranked uh, from the Florida State program, and then we are going to jump into the spring. So uh, the lowest player that they had rated, first off, they had 10 players in the top 100. Corey Durden, defensive lineman, number eighth mm-hmm. overall from the position. Then we've got Akeem Dent, a cornerback, uh, number ninth rated corner in the in the um, conference. And I mean, he's a pretty solid corner, so I think that speaks for the uh, for the depth of the uh, position in the conference there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Levanta Taylor, safety out of Florida State, tenth best safety. Jaden Lars Woodbay, another safety, number nine overall. Uh, Stanford Samuels, number seven cornerback. James Blackman, the number fifth overall quarterback in the conference, comes in at number 69. Then jumping up to number 34, Dontavious Jackson, a linebacker. If you've noticed the theme here, all of those players are on the defensive side of the ball, and most of them in the secondary. <laughs> so right. Florida State's going to be uh, going to be strong on, on that side of the ball. Cam Makers, number 32, running back, number three overall at the position. Marvin Wilson, defensive lineman, the top-rated defensive lineman in the conference. And then Tamarian Terry, wide receiver, number three overall, number 11th overall player on the list. So Florida State, Tim, a team that was just wildly disappointing last year, really for the second year in a row, but I think even more so disappointing because – this is the Willie Taggart area, right? Last right. year was his first year as a head coach at Florida State, and he came in and laid a big old goose egg. They go five and seven, uh, three and five in the conference. They got absolutely annihilated by Virginia Tech to open the season. That game had Hokies fans looking like, who is this team? You know, they're going to make a huge run. Clearly, that didn't happen. But the entire Willie Taggart era is, is off to a little bit of a question mark. And, you know, to be honest, I kind of went back and I looked at the history of Willie Taggart as a head coach. And, you know, he's got a decent track record, Tim, but he doesn't have anything that stands out as to looking back on it. This is hindsight, right? But if you go back and look at it, he had a pretty good track record at Western Kentucky, took the program from 2-10 and 10 to 7-5, and five, two years in a row. Then he left for South Florida. They go 2-10, and 4-8 and eight in his first two years. Then they go eight and five, ten and two, and tied for first in the Big East. But then he goes to Oregon, and he stays there for a year. They go seven and five. He makes a bowl, but then he leaves, and he goes to Florida State, and goes five and seven. So overall, fifty-two and fifty-seven as a head coach. The best season he's had by far was at South Florida, where he went ten and two. The only other season he even won eight games was the year before that at South Florida at 8-5. and five. No other time has he won more than seven games in a single season. I don't know if there was uh, too much of a hype train going on around Willie Taggart, but I think we're going to find that out this year. I know from a recruiting standpoint, you know, Florida State has always done very well on the recruiting trail, but from the end of Jimbo's final year as head coach at Florida State to Willie Taggart's first year, it's been two very disappointing seasons with a lot of talent on the field, but really poor coaching job that you would have to say from both Jimbo and Willie. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. The coaching the coaching return uh, when compared to the talent that's on the field has been uh, completely just non-correlated, and that's, that's the issue. And it was a surprise to see Taggart have the issues he had this year. Uh, but when you peel back the layers of the onion and, and you look at how bad their offensive line was, it's not really particularly surprising that they struggled as bad as they did. Um, 
But you know, one hallmark of coaching is being able to rally a team even during tough times. And I thought this isn't necessarily condemning Willie Taggart, but what I would have liked to have seen last year was a team that didn't quit. Um, and that Florida State football team quit. And, and that's never, you know, something super positive on the coach. So um, that's been noticed down in Tallahassee. And, and Willie Taggart is on notice going into this year where he's going to need to start getting results. And um, sort of the reaction you've seen to that is, right, He's he's been known as a guy who calls his own plays. He's ditched that. Kendall Bryles is now uh, a Florida State Seminole, and he's going to be calling the plays. I think Willie has realized how serious it got in Tallahassee real fast, and I know that that's, uh, you know, as he stated, his dream job, um, and he's going to want to fight to keep it. So there's going to be a lot of changes going on in northern Florida, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, the uh, the Kendall Bryles hire was the most interesting part of the offseason for me uh, for the Florida State program because here's a guy, young, up-and-coming offensive coordinator. You know, his dad is Art Bryles, clearly – you know, there was a uh, colorful history there um, yeah. at Baylor uh, sure that, was. you know, he did not stay for, nor did his dad. Uh, his dad's now coaching in high school. I don't know if you saw that story. But, um, I didn't. you know, Bryles is a guy who, you know, last season he went to University of Houston. They finished sixth in the FBS in total offense, sixth in points per game, about 44 points per game, and 11th in passing yards, 20th in rushing. So... Those are pretty good numbers. Now, the asterisk is, of course, 11 of those 23 different defenses that they went up against, they were ranked 90th or worse out of 130 teams right. in college football. So not a whole lot of defense being played. Not that the ACC is a huge juggernaut defensively, <laughs> but from a Power 5 standpoint, they are, a, they are a conference that I think we will see a much improved product, at least from a conference-wide perspective, there's not a lot of schools in the ACC where you can just kind of walk up to and know that you're going to beat. I mean, every team has got a pretty decent program built around them. Some are obviously in different areas than the other, but it, you don't have, like, the bottom feeders that the SEC has or the Big Ten has. Like, you can go into Winston-Salem and Wake Forest can beat you. North Carolina should be much improved this year, even though I'd say they're probably the the worst team in the ACC this year, but you still can't take them lightly. That being said, the whole Kendall Bryles, Willie Taggart uh, offensive play calling situation, to me, that means all the pressure is on Taggart to perform this year, and if they don't, then I don't know if he's not on the hot seat. I mean, we saw his th- we saw the Florida State, quote-unquote, 36 straight bowl appearances disappear and I say quote-unquote because of the uh, vacated wins or you know whatever happened there a few years ago but this was the first time in 36 years they hadn't been in the bowl game so they go five and seven and new head coaches uh, first season like to me the pressure is on this year for Taggart to perform absolutely I mean it's Florida State if we're talking anywhere else the pressure wouldn't be there quite to the same extent I mean obviously we're talking some of the blue bloods um, you know, some high-tier SEC programs, we might see the same kind of pressure. That's what you're getting in Florida State. It's completely different. And make no mistake, there is no, is Willie on, uh, Willie is going into this season, in my mind, on the hot seat. Um, thankfully, I think he's made the right decisions, and you bring up Kendall Bryles, Bryle, and all he's done anywhere he's been is is make a market improvement his first year. Um, when Lane Kiffin hired him in 2017 for FAU, Offensive efficiency there went from around 70th to about 30th. Uh, so that's a 40-place uh, alpha there that he was able to add. Um, and the same thing when he went to Houston last year. He improved their offensive efficiency from 43rd to 20. That's what they're going to need. They're going to need somebody to come in there and make that offense more efficient. The defense, I think, is going to take care of itself because they have nothing but playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. And that secondary, as you mentioned, is absolutely loaded. Um, and, and their recruiting class is absolutely loaded. Surprise, surprise, it's Florida State. But the key to this whole thing is going to be that offense and what they're going to be able to get out of James Blackman because when you keep James Blackman upright, he's a damn good quarterback. Um, but if they come out next year again with the same struggles they had with the offensive line last year, they're almost dead on arrival. So Florida State's going to be fun to keep an eye on as they try to figure this thing out. And if, if you look for a bounce-back candidate, 
they should be number one on your list in the ACC. There are huge ingredients there to not only make a turnaround, talk about eight, nine wins. I mean, you're talking about the potential for a 10-win season with Florida State, and that would be a huge swing as far as wins go. Yeah, and I mean, from a, from an attrition standpoint, you know, Florida State, they had eight guys enter the portal. They all haven't found a landing spot yet. They did bring in a few guys, a couple of quarterback that we'll talk about. Um, only two players drafted, um, so that was their fewest in a couple of years. But Brian Burns, number one or first round, number 16 overall to Carolina. Your Carolina Panthers. Hey. And uh, DeMarcus Christmas, uh, sixth round, 209 to the Seattle Seahawks defensive tackle. So they didn't lose too much, um, you know, significant talent. Not many early entrants into the draft. Um, they did have six guys drafted in 2018. Themes of the spring, you know, defensive side of the ball, they're strong. That's the strength of their team. That's what's, that's what's going to win them football games. On the offensive side of the ball, they still got some of their best players intact. Cam Makers, you know, oh, one man. of the best running backs in the ACC. Incredible. The guy's a huge playmaker. You know, he's going to be who that offense runs through. Uh, Tamarian Terry, you know, he caught a big touchdown pass in the spring game. You know, I think on the Southern Pickskin list, he was the highest-rated Florida State player on that list. He's going to be a, a dynamic part of that offense. Sure and then is. James Blackman. You know, he's a guy who, for whatever reason, it seemed like over the last two years, the Florida State football team just responded much more favorably to him than they did to DeAndre Francois. Sure, that's a good observation. And so, Francois is a guy who, two years ago, Season opener, tears his ACL against Alabama, misses the entire season. You know, Blackman gets thrown in there as a freshman, you know, has his ups and downs. So, coming into last season, quarterback competition, Francois ends up winning that battle, but there just always seemed to be some type of polarization effect going on with Francois. He had some off-the-field issues. You know, he just had this kind of weird persona about him. Well, he ends up getting kicked off the team. Um, for, you know, an incident that was kind of a a lot of conflicting information about. We're not going to really dwell on what happened, but he is no longer part of the program. He actually just signed as a walk-on to Florida Atlantic, so he's going to go play with Lane Kiffin, which probably not a terrible landing spot for no. him. Was I surprised he went there? No. Um, but now it's James Blackman's team. So this is a guy, he lit up the spring game, 415 yards, three scores, as I've often said. I do not care about spring game statistics, <laughs> but what I do care about is guys that are experienced, that play well, that team the team responds to, and I think that is what Florida State has with James Blackman this year. Yeah, and the thing that really impresses me about James Blackman, too, when you talk about quarterbacks that have that it factor, one of the things you look for in a quarterback, and this transcends level, I'm talking professional and college, is a quarterback that can take a huge hit and make a strong throw with no sense of self-protection and just rip it in the face of pressure. And I saw James Blackman do that over and over and over again last year. And I thought that was the most impressive thing to me because make no mistake, James Blackman is a very slightly built individual. So to see him step up into the face of pressure and just sling the rock as many times as he did last year, I can see why that team responds so well to him. Um, given what we see with that offensive coordinator and the air raid is going to do him all sorts of favors, James Blackman is, is going to go from a guy who, you know, we don't really know what he's capable of, in my opinion, to a guy that's going to be uh, a potentially first-team All-ACC quarterback. Um, now, a lot of people aren't going to say that, and that may be a bit of a stretch, but honestly, that's where I'm sitting with Blackman at this point. But it all hinges on that offensive line. If they don't fix that, none of this matters. Yeah, and exactly. So that is really the fourth key of the spring, or the theme of the spring, I should say. So one was the defense, looked stronger than ever. You still got your best players attacked offensively. The quarterback situation is more clear, but that offensive line is still atrocious. Oh, my. So unless they just start gelling in that summer practice, it is still going to be really kind of the kryptonite to, to this Florida State football team unless they can find a, find a way around it. And that's really where coaching comes in, right? Yeah. You don't always have to have the the biggest guys or the best guys. You just got to find guys that play within that system. And Florida State has got to find a way to, you know, mitigate the, the issues that they have um, up front on offense. And so one thing that we did see with the Kendall Bryles offense in the spring – 
It looked a lot faster, a lot more crisp. You know, Blackman seems like he's the guy that runs this and fits the system really well. You know, we did see from an offensive line that, you know, they gave up five sacks, uh, you know, had some really bad snaps, committed three penalties, and that was just in the first half right. of the spring game. Right. So a lot of issues still there, um, but I think what they're doing in other areas on the offense will hopefully for them help help hide some of those areas. And then, um, you know, one other thing to highlight with the quarterback position. So Florida State brought in two guys as uh, grad transfers. So Jordan Travis from Louisville, right? he is applying for immediate eligibility. Not sure if that's going to happen. Uh, he also had a very nice spring, 22 of 28, 241 yards. You know, he's a guy who... Uh, looks like he could step in and play right away if needed. I think he would probably be the backup. But if he can't play this year, they also got Alex Hornibrook from Wisconsin. Yes, that Alex Hornibrook. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> is there another Hornibrook in, in college no. football? No. So no. he's a guy who had his struggles um, with the old the Badgers. Yeah, to say the but, least. But, uh but somebody who I guess can come in and add a little bit of experience there um, for Florida State if if they need him to in a pinch. So, Yeah, and I mean, not bad for him. You know, you get to go hang out and transfer to a little warmer weather, and the scenery, I'm sure, in Florida State's fantastic. So um, win-win for Alex Hornibrook gets to go be a second-string quarterback at a pretty good program. But, you know, if you're Florida State, you got a guy, James Blackman goes down, you got a guy that can step in and at least has been in big games before. So something else I found interesting about the spring, and this was per one of the beat writers for Florida State, uh, Bob Ferrante, uh, Willie Taggart did not have a playbook this spring. Interesting. So I think this was an Art Bryles decision, and it was to encourage fast tempo. And so this is something that happened at Florida Atlantic and at Houston under Bryles. Um, but he feels like having a playbook wastes too much time in pre-snap. And I think right there is what we should expect from the Florida State offense this year is a lot of quick reads, you know, fast play actions out of the gun, you know, one, two step drop out, you know, balls out in one, one and a half seconds because of that offensive line. Yeah. You know, what I do question is what does that mean for a guy like Cam Makers? You know, what is he going to be able to do in the running game? But, you know, we'll see. A um, couple of other guys to, to highlight. So, Kalan Le, LeBaron, or LeBron. Uh-huh. LeBaron, LeBron, I'm not sure. Former five-star recruit, uh, running back. He appeared in two games last year uh, before getting hurt against Sanford and made his college debut against Virginia Tech, had a 37-yard pass and returned to kickoff for 25 yards. This is a guy who is a dynamic do-it-all player that they are very excited about. Had a pretty decent spring, uh, recovering from the injury, didn't play. But um, he's going to be somebody to watch as a nice little spell to um, to Acres, but maybe somebody who can do a little bit out of the backfield from a uh, from a receiving standpoint. Yeah, and I think that was you know a, a big criticism last year was the fact that he wasn't used extensively. Um, and Kalen is a, just a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands, especially receiving the ball out of the backfield. So I expect him to get uh, a lot more looks this year, and he's absolutely explosive. Make no mistake, it was a guy the Hokies wanted extremely bad on their team, and um, he should have a strong year. And unfortunately, he's got Cam Akers to share the load with, so that's going to be hard for anybody to eke out a lot of touches there. Um, but where he's going to be able to certainly make plays is in special teams and getting the ball in space, whether that be through screens or having him lined up out wide in the slot. Yeah, so that is our spring recap for Florida State. You know, we will have a breakdown for you of what to expect for this coming season a little bit later on in the summer. Um, you know, I would expect them to be right there for second place in the uh, in the Atlantic Division. You know, you got Wake Forest, you got Syracuse, so there's a couple of big teams that that they'll be jockeying position with. But I'd expect a much better season out of Florida State, and then if not, I think we're probably going to see a change at the coaching helm. Yeah, I think so too. I don't really feel like that's going out on a limb. If we get another losing season, um, there's no way. There's no way. Willie is gone the day after the, the season ends. 
Um, I, I don't think that'll happen, fortunately for him. I think uh, Florida State's prime for a bounce-back season. Well, let's play a little game, Tim. If sure. it did happen, there's a guy a little bit north of there. Or, no, a little bit south. I'm thinking of Miami. I know where you're going with this. And I think Lane, I just want to tell Lane you Kiffin. I'm on the lane train for this. I think Florida Lane State Kiffin. could do a lot worse than Lane Kiffin. Yeah, it just makes so much sense. It does. If, if they need to go get somebody, a guy who's been at Florida Atlantic now for, what, is this his third year? Third year, Fourth I think. Year? I think it's his third He's a third or fourth. But I mean, can you imagine a guy? Could you imagine the lane train rolling into Tallahassee recruiting with that program? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'd be it'd be fascinating. So uh, after our conversation with uh, with Cam last week about Miami and that little Nike high school recruiting story, yeah, you know, it sounds like Florida State <laughs> might need a little a little boost on yeah. that front. Yeah, I'll be Manny and uh, the Lane Train rolling in at the same time would be so fun. And, you know, maybe that's what the uh, script writers have in season for the next season of ACC football. We'll certainly uh, find out come fall. So, Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so that was our Florida State recap. We got a little fun, little fun segment for you here. So, as we said, we're going through some of our power rankings. You voted, we've responded. We are talking condiments today. You know, what is going on your fries? What's going on your pizza crust? What's going on your wings? Like, you can go on anything, Tim. It and can. I, I will let you go ahead and, and kick this one off. You okay, so first. I'm going with an old reliable here at number five. I'm going to get fancier as we go on. And maybe I'll get flack for this. Maybe I no. won't. No, let me Let me stop you there. Sure. You got to take your best guys off the board first. What? This okay. is this is a snake draft. Okay, it's snake draft. All You're right, gonna so, go. I'm gonna go. We cannot right, so choose. We're, the same we're thing. leading off with the number one pick. Yes. Um. Oh man, this is tough, Justin. So you've completely screwed up my line of thinking here. <laughs> if I'm going to take one condiment off the board, it's going to be an all-purpose condiment, and it's going to be very specific. I'm taking ranch dressing off the board at number one. And I know that's probably everybody's. That was probably already in pre-draft number one ranked. However, I'm being very specific here. I'm not talking about bottled ranch dressing, which sometimes has some preservatives in it, which just they make it taste not so great. I'm talking about fresh, whether you're at a restaurant, house-made, whether you're at home, you know, make it from the little uh, Hidden Valley packets. Homemade ranch dressing goes off the board at number one. All right, fantastic. Uh, ranch was not in my top five. Fair enough. Just want want that to be on the record. My number one, Tim, anybody who knows me knows what I'm about. <laughs> it's sriracha. Okay. Strong. I put it on just about anything. Um, I even put it in my yogurt in the morning. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, man, I can't follow you down that road. <laughs> I can't follow you down that one. No, but, yeah, I pretty much put it on just about anything outside of uh, – you know, cold breakfast foods, but uh, that's my number one. Couldn't risk it. I, I'm not sure you're going to go there, number two. But to me, I just had to pull it off the board. Sure. And you know, it, I'm going to go ahead and take one off the board. My hot sauce. If I if I was on a deserted island, which is the way I thought about this, hot sauce for me would probably be my number one overall condiment. If we were to broadly generalize, generalize. However, sure. regionally speaking, there is no hot sauce that means more to this Carolina boy than Texas Pete. So I'm going to go ahead and take Texas Pete hot sauce off the board. That would be my Desert Island hot sauce if I had to pick one for the rest of the time. Outstanding. Okay. Okay. I'm not a big Texas Pete guy. I don't like that. I don't like it, Justin. Come on. I mean, it's I'll I'll have it. I'm sure. not anti, sure. but it's just, you know, if I was choosing hot sauces, it wouldn't be something I'd grab. And I get it. Something about North Carolina, it's on the table of every restaurant here. I don't know why. It's in our blood. All right. So number two for me, and I'll, I'll get oddly specific here. And I don't frequent this establishment, but when I do, I will get the honey mustard with poppy seeds at Red Robin. Okay, it is that is by far specific. So we'll we'll take honey mustard off the board. Sure, but sure. that honey mustard specifically, I've just I, it's I've just never had anything like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> That's a, hey, look, I appreciate that honey mustard. Let it be known, honey mustard is probably a top five condiment for me. Yeah. Um, mustard in general is, is 
holds a special place in my heart. And it, it, many kinds of mustard, honey mustard in general, though, is great. Anything you can dip chicken tenders into is is near the top of my list. So I respect that. I'm going to go ahead and take a pick from you for my third pick. I recently got baptized um, into the Whataburger lifestyle. Um, wow. And every time I go back to Texas, I get some. And there is Can't a condiment there. Can't believe you're doing this to me. Blue my mind. And if I could find it in stores, I would load up on it to the point where you would think I was doomsday prepping. I'd have a box, a crate, a pallet in my closet. And that's the spicy ketchup at Whataburger. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't say enough about it because they they make the ketchup still taste like delicious ketchup with just a hint of jalapeno on the back end is what it tastes like. And it's beautiful. Yeah. So a little shout out to Whataburger before we go For on. real. Yeah. They're Acquired. in the news this week. Now, those in Texas might see this as a bad thing because they're Texan and they want everything to stay Texan. I get it. Okay. But the rest of the world needs some of that Texas love. And a Chicago investment firm, and whenever you say investment firm around fast food chain, you start to panic. But the Whataburger brand is so damn strong. It's unflappable. The only thing that this could mean is we're getting Whataburgers nationwide, starting in Chicago, and I'm going to own a franchise. No, I, that offer is still on the table. I'm not joking about that. If there's one franchise that I know would have success anywhere you planted it just about, it would be Whataburger. That is the way fast food should work, and that is the way fast food should taste. Shout out to the Jalapeno Whataburger. Jalapeno Whataburger, honey butter chicken biscuit, honey barbecue chicken burger, spicy ketchup. Oh, man. Well, Unbelievable. We, we derailed this condiment talk. I think we that did. was my third pick. So you're on your third pick right now in our Snake Draft Condiment 2019 extravaganza. All right. Mine's pretty simple. Kahlua hot sauce. Wait, wait, Kahlua hot sauce? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Excuse me? I'm <laughs> I'm kind of upset right now. I'm going to Google something real quick. Wow. Uh, it's like the hot sauce that you would want. Let me just put it that way. It's kind of like, it's it's a Mexican hot sauce, so it's big in Texas. I guess that's probably where I kind of got onto it. It's kind of a mix between, maybe I don't want Tabasco, maybe I don't want like something as tangy as a Texas Pete. I want Kahlua. Oh, yeah, okay. We're talking Cholula. Cholula. I got it. Cholula. Yeah. Got it in my head. Spicy garlic. Their hot sauces are incredible. Spicy garlic of their subtypes is my favorite. Do you do you say Cholula? I say Cholula. I don't know if that's right, but I feel like I it's a Cholula. Cholula. I, I, um, uh, a person of Mexican descent <laughs> announced it to me as Cholula. <laughs> and so that's what Look, I've stuck Let's with. go with your expert on this case. Uh, yes. No so one if I'm saying that wrong and now I sound me. like an absolute jack wagon, it's not my fault. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, hey, I say Cholula, you say uh, Kalola, or whatever it was. So, Kalula. Kalula. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think All that's right. a really strong pick as far as hot, spi- or hot sauces go. So that brings it to me at number two or number four. I guess this would be number four, even though we're counting down as opposed to up here. Um, this, this is going to be a deep cut. I just made a fresh batch of this, and it confirmed my desire and love of everything that this sauce represents. From the Great Plains of Northern Alabama, my number four overall pick in the condiment battle of 2019 is going to be Alabama White Sauce, the best condiment in the world for chicken on the grill or smoked. Alabama White Sauce, lock it in. I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. Never had it. (laughs) Justin, look up a recipe and make it. It's incredible. Um, You're basically putting... Uh, about three-fourths cup of mayonnaise in with some apple cider vinegar, some lemon juice, and a ton of spices, and it turns into this very watery, loose sauce that just, it touches chicken and everything is, is better. Your, your day brightens up, the birds sing a little louder, it's beautiful. So, <clears throat> this one, I rarely see in stores, I don't know where to get it, but I I bought a bottle of Jim Beam one day and with that Jim Beam came some Jim Beam maple bourbon barbecue sauce. Oh, that sounds good. I've not had it. It was out of this world delicious. 
and that is number four on my list. It's a rarity. I don't get it often, and I'm not like a huge barbecue sauce guy. Sure. But that's on my list. It's got to be good. It certainly sounds good. It sounds like it would be really good on a grilled chicken sandwich with a little cheddar cheese and some bacon. I think I could get down with that. Absolutely. Um, So I'm going to lock in a pretty strong pick at my fifth. Um, if you've ever had hibachi, then you've had what's known as yum yum sauce. In most most cases, um, it is a creamy Japanese ketchup and mayo monstrosity. It's a powerhouse in the condiment world. I'm going to go ahead and lock that in because yum yum sauce is amazing with fried rice, hibachi steak, any sort of chicken that you come up with. If you look for it in the stores, uh, Terry Ho's is one of the most famous brands, and they have a spicy version, which I highly highly recommend when compared to the regular. So. Locking it in, yum yum sauce. That's my fifth and final pick. All right, so let me just set the stage for my last pick here, because <laughs> I was sure that it would be here, and I'm glad it is. <laughs> so I picked it. <laughs> I'm a guy who, when I find a sauce that I like, <laughs> I don't stray. Right. Okay. Right. I I stay with it for years. Until one day I might just try something and then boom, I'm onto that. Right. So I'm on quite a run for sriracha. Sure. But when I was growing up oh, man. in the great in the great state of Virginia, there was there was this sauce that I saw on the shelf. And <laughs> there was a couple of guys. They had a radio show. <laughs> and there was a sauce and it says hot and spicy. John Boy and Billy's grilling sauce. <laughs> I pretty much ate John Boy and Billy's grilling sauce, hot and spicy, on everything for about six, seven years. <laughs> I don't even know what to thing. say. I could see why you were confident that was still going to be on the board. Yeah, I I'm was laughing. like, "There's no, there's no way this is going to be picked." No, but that's all over the stores around here still. Yeah, see, it 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 is not. If you go like east of any state on the eastern <laughs> seaboard, you don't see it anywhere. Wow. Yeah, it's all over. John Boy and Billy's grilling sauce is still a staple of southeastern American households to this yeah. day. It's just, it's fantastic and just, you know, thinking about it, it's bringing back some great memories. Man, you know what? I need but, to try uh, some of that. Have you never had it? No. No, oh, I've man. always seen it, and I, you know, back when we were kids, I don't know if you used to listen to the John Boy and Billy radio show, but my dad was an avid list listener. Shout out to Jim Hearth. Um, would take us to school. We'd listen to John Boy and Billy every morning, and they they really uh, were into sales of their grill and sauces. And so you heard ads nonstop for you know the length of however long that program was running. I think it's still running. It's a really popular radio show. Yeah, it's a great one, and. Um... I haven't listened to that show in quite a while. I can't even really tell you what their kind of thing was because it's been that long. I do remember they were on the radio show in the morning, or they had a radio show in the morning, Mm -hmm. but I can't remember how I got turned on to it, but I'm glad I did. And I I now want some, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go searching for it next time I am out east, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna put the sriracha to the side. I'm gonna say, hold on, buddy, this was my first love. It's it's time for old faithful. Yeah. Uh, all right. Exactly. So we can't close it out. We're gonna have to settle one thing. You're a mayo guy, right? I'm not. You're not. Uh, okay. So do you have no. a preference when it comes to mayo? Uh yeah, none. Okay. So you're an anti mayo guy. That's why I said my yeah. mayo thing's very divisive. I just want to shout out Duke's Mayonnaise, best brand of mayonnaise on the planet. If you're not eating Duke's, you're doing it all wrong. Just wanted to make that clear at this point moving forward. The best condiment brands, obviously Heinz for ketchup. Um, Heinz make a ni- it makes a nice low-sugar variant. If you're like me and you're getting into your 30s and you're trying to watch the sugar intake a little bit, there you go. Um, you can get a reduced-sugar ketchup, which is just nice. And Duke's Mayonnaise, no sugar, all flavor. Beautiful stuff. There you go. Uh, yeah, not just not a not a mayonnaise guy. Never have been. Never have been. And glad I'm not because it's not particularly great for it's, you. It's but. it's fantastic though. It tastes great. Yeah, and that's really all that matters, right? Hey, Amen. Look, we all die someday. If if you know cutting out mayo is going to lead to you living for three extra weeks, uh, you know, stick with the mayo. So Tim, 
I just wanted to hit on some of the things I've been seeing around the internet. Oh, so, boy. new segment for us here. Worst thing you've seen on the internet, would you like me to start? I would like you to start. Okay. There's these sorority videos going around. Oh, my God. And they are so disturbing <laughs> that I thought it was a joke. And so, the first one I saw was the sorority girls doing this chant on these stairs, and they open up this huge door, you know, to, like, this big house. It looks like this mansion. It's, like, it's a sorority house. But it was, like... The depths of hell was showing up. <laughs> and so that's that's the video I saw. Like, it wasn't actually what was happening. So I was like, what is this? I don't understand. And then I saw the original video, and it ended up being worse. It's horrifying. It was, it was like eight, nine, maybe even ten rows of girls. And they were all just doing the sorority chant. And it was literally like I had a nightmare about it that night. It's I awful. woke up, I, I was sweating. If you watch the video, the synchronous bobbing of heads that's happening is horrifying. I mean, it's horrifying. They become one shrieking body. One um, shrieking body. But I, I honestly, I don't know how. I don't know if that was the first time they had ever done an activity like this. But having posted that means that they saw it afterwards and decided yeah this is a good idea to put out there yeah like it's that bad it's horrible it's horrible and you know and then there's some other ones floating around too that are you know i wouldn't say equally as awful because that one is in a class of its own but there's some pretty bad ones out there yeah yeah i did that then i realized that was a rabbit hole that one could spend quite a lot of time going down and that is not what i want to be involved in in my life also, um, there is a certain uh, murderer that's now on Twitter, uh, Mr. O.J. Simpson. Oh, saw that. That was unpleasant. And uh, this happens to be, today is Monday, so this happens to be the 25th anniversary of his Bronco freewheeling on the interstate anniversary. Uh, so shout out to him. Uh, I'm not going to follow him. Don't really care what he's what he's posting over there, but... Um, you know, it's funny, and I'm I'm doing the same thing that I'm going to talk about here, but I wanted to talk about it because I think it's funny. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, O.J. Simpson has 300,000 followers on Twitter. How is this happening? Well, because we keep talking about it on national media outlets. Amen. That's how. That's what it is. Shouldn't be surprised about that. Yeah. Well. So, I don't know about you. Do you have anything you want to highlight? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't anything horrible. It's just one of those where I'm losing the faith in society from an intellectual standpoint. Um, you know, I was reading a news article, and, you know, I feel bad they picked one guy to make fun of here. But the more I read this little snippet, the more I'm thinking this feller, this feller. I say feller because, uh, you know, the logic here is, is pretty tough. Um, but let's just say that I, I'm not sure if I'm on the side opposing this guy or I'm starting to see this guy's way of thinking. Um, if you've noticed, even following the news, there have been a lot of tornadoes recently. Um, you know, bad things, nothing great. Um, however, a Pennsylvania man thinks he's solved uh, the reason behind the increase in tornadoes, um, which normally would be a good thing if that reasoning had any sort of, uh, you know, effect on actual outcomes. What he says is happening is, um, he thinks that the cause of the tornadoes are the increase in the amount of traffic circles being built in the United States. So, according to WNEP-TV in Scranton, they have a segment called Talk Back where they allow the viewers to call in and leave their opinions. This gentleman uh, said, We didn't have tornadoes here until we started putting in the traffic circles. Cause of, on account of, you want to know why? When people go round and round in circles, it causes disturbances in the atmosphere and causes tornadoes. Like, of course it does. Of course. You know how many times I've been in traffic circles and I genuinely felt you know, like, you know what? Maybe I'm creating a tornado here. And the blood is on all of our hands, unfortunately. I just wanted to make that clear. Maybe spread a little bit of awareness. So next time that you're speeding in, uh, in a traffic circle, maybe don't. Maybe don't. <laughs> Yeah, uh, next time that they're thinking about putting a traffic circle into your town, <laughs> go to your local. I'm protesting. I, there will not hell. be there will raise not be a traffic circle. Hell, 
No traffic circle here. Tornadoes. No. Tornadoes. <laughs> gotta tell you what, you gotta watch out for them. You know what you should do? Just to simulate what a tornado is? <laughs> Just get one of those little devices that takes two liter bottles and makes one. That's and then it. just demonstrate for your local Oh, my God. You know, maybe I just need to have one of those around to play with. Those were awesome back in the day. Yeah, no, they were. Thank you for that inspiration. I'm going to go get two two two-liter bottles, make a tornado simulator, and go try some of that hot and spicy uh, John Boy and Billy's grilling sauce. And it's going to be 1994 (laughs) all again back up in here. Yeah, I think that's when that movie Twister came out, so that's that's quite fitting. Hey, that is. You know what? And that's also a good movie. I'm going to say that right now. I really enjoyed that. Which, by the way, random, random observation. The woman... In that movie, the actress yes. who was Bill Paxson's new girlfriend, yes. not Helen Hunt. The stuck-up woman. She is married to a billionaire who owns the Atlanta Hawks. Really? I noticed her at the NBA draft lottery, and I was like, who is this woman? I know her. And that's who she is. So wow. go go check out Google. I'm correct. Can't remember her name, but you'll be like, Wow. This woman's a billionaire. She was in Twister. Good Great. for her. Good for her. Hey, look, where else are you going to get these kind of tidbits? I tell people all the time, there's only one place for your source of condiment power rankings and weird celebrity sightings. Also, before we close out, I just wanted to make a note here. Um, Terry Bowden is coming back to Clemson as an unpaid intern uh, while he goes to get his degree from Clemson. I just wanted to say, uh, shout out Terry Bowden. You know, this is We're getting real uh, nostalgic here. We're having all these old... ACC coaches back where they used to roam the sidelines. So, uh, yeah, Terry. Well, he's not a coach, Tim. He's an intern. He's unpaid so. intern. You yeah. went from top dog to unpaid intern. Way to go, Terry. Yeah, you know, I, way to I stick saw that, out. too. I, uh, yeah, I just didn't know what to make of that. But, you know, cool. Good for him. Yeah, he just wants to, uh, you know, take it in for a year. I'm sure that's what he's, what he's up to. That's it. But, uh, you know, that's our show for today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC football and Hokies football. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do when they go on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio for us? Leave us a review. Five stars is preferable. All the reviews help. Uh, pass along you know, the word. Share our posts on Twitter, on Facebook. Get the word out. The more people you uh, put in touch with us, the more people we'll have listening. The wider our reach will be, and a wide reach is what we want. So go ahead. Tell everybody that you know. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Leave us some mailbag questions. We appreciate all the support as usual. Um, we look forward to keep turning out some of these podcasts. We're having a great time doing it. Yeah, and uh, just want to leave you with this. We have confirmation. Big guest coming for the next episode. We might drop it a little bit early. You're going to have two episodes in one week potentially. If you're a Virginia Tech Cokies fan, tell your friends. Be sure to check out this show. They will not be disappointed especially the next one. We will see you guys next time.